in what way are these things true? You know, how literal is the story? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? How much does it matter? And how much literal does, or not? Exactly. And, and my thing is, is that 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 is a valid conversation to have. And it's a very interesting conversation to have. But as, as you pointed out, ultimately, the reason most people actually are involved in religion isn't because it gives them a really good history lesson. It's because of the, the paradigms and the stories that it provides to their life that helps frame how to be in the world. All right, this should be fun. We have um, Jacob Hansen on, and Jacob Hansen was even too much for the Jordan Peterson Latter Day Lobster Facebook group and was booted <laughs> out. So that is who we have on our hands here. So you were mentioning when we talked before that everybody gets along with you in real life. So my question for you is, why do you think that people online can't handle you? Well, well, first, thanks for thanks for having me on, and that that is a fair question because uh, online I have uh, I've gotten myself kicked out of a few different groups, um, and so it's actually funny because I'm actually not opposed to kicking people out of groups if they are like actually attacking people like on a personal level, um, because. I believe that's wrong. Like, I don't believe in harassing people. But what I do is I tend to be really aggressive in going after particular ideas that I think are bad ideas. And eventually, if you, if you kick over enough sacred cows, people, uh, people get kind of upset about that. But in real life, the people who know me, um, you know, granted, in, in, I, I don't look at my, what I'm doing online like what I'm doing in real life. In real life, like the people in my ward and stuff, you know, like I'm ministering to them. Like I'm actually like, I, I look at my, what I'm doing there is different from what I'm doing online. Online, I'm, I'm really engaging in the public square and the discussions about what's true and what's real. And that requires me, um, I honestly feel a, a moral obligation to like really aggressively go after things that I think are wrong. That's interesting. So there's no crossover there. So you don't minister to people online and you don't try to, attack bad ideas in real life? So yes, there is a little bit of crossover there, but not as much. Um, The way I look at my online interactions that I have with people, uh, it's very much, it's funny. I started a group back in, I think it was like 2012. This was like before Facebook groups were like a thing that everyone was a part of. I I was not part of Facebook at that time. I left Facebook for a long time. Then I came back so I could find ex-Mormon friends. (laughs) Yeah. Facebook groups like exploded. I want to say more like 2014, 15, 16. But in 2012, I started a group specifically to talk. I called it Think Tank. And we just talked about all sorts of stuff, right? And it's funny because now there's like, anyway, there's a lot of different people that got to know over doing that. But my my, honest, my intention was this. I wanted to, I I had the, the question, how can people think so different from me? Like, how do the people who are on the other side of kind of the socio-political spectrum, like, what is going on in their heads? And I, it was a genuine curiosity. And I sort of ended up creating, I mean, I, I, I kind of pulled a Socrates and just like got people in and just asked them questions. But I asked them questions that a lot of times kind of pissed them off. Hmm. Because when you begin to 
ask people questions that they can't answer, they start to feel like you're attacking them. And, and I'm, I don't stop asking, like I start really twisting those questions until I get something out of it. But anyway, in doing that, my whole thing was, I want to know what the truth is. And I want to do two things. I want to see how strong other people's ideas are. And I want to see how strong my ideas are because what, like I have all sorts of ideas and I have all sorts of, I have a, you know, I write all the time, but it's like, I want to put them into the public square, which is why I publish the content that I do. And then I write the things I do is actually because I want people to give me feedback on it. Yeah. And if they just attack me personally, like I don't care. Like, I want to know, like, what is wrong with what I'm thinking? Cause if I'm wrong, I want to know it. I want to break the ideas. I want to see how strong these ideas I have are. And if they're not, then I want to get rid of them. That's cool. Um, I think I can hear some of my uh, listeners saying, uh, yeah, people definitely get pissed off when you ask them questions. And there's a certain <laughs> group of people that you ask questions and they don't want their ideas in the public square. At least that's the feeling, um, I think. I, I think you know who I'm talking about too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there, there definitely are people who, who have very strong belief systems and they've never really had them challenged seriously. Now, what's funny is as a Latter-day Saint, like I grew up having my belief systems challenged all the time. And so normally, normally when you think of sort of LDS interactions, the LDS person's on the defense and the critic is on the offense. Well, what I, what I actually learned, I kind of went through a, a faith remodeling in my life. And what I learned was the way I've been able to retain my faith was I began to ask questions about the questioners. I began to look and not, not their personality, not them directly, but towards their ideas, like take a critical lens and apply it to atheism, take a critical lens and apply it to, to all sorts of different things. And because if you just apply the critical lens to Mormonism, like, yeah, you're going to find all sorts of problems. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, if you really learn to use that critical lens and to become skeptical of other things as well, you'd be amazed at how weak some of these other worldviews are. Um, and, and obviously, like, there's a whole lot to discuss within Mormonism and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm but saying is, is, that, is that I personally, what I do is I tend to go after the ideas of other people as well. I don't just play defense. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I think generally when I think of, um, when, like when you said people in the LDS faith are always on the defense, I don't know. That's the feeling they have, but I don't know that very many people actually engage with the critics much. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Latter-day Lobsters is a different kind of group. I've never really interacted with very many people like that in real life, or at least they don't openly talk about it if they are engaging with those ideas. Like, it's just not, I don't yeah, know. I, I, and, you have to and find I will... special, like, off-the-map groups, and you find out <laughs> behind closed doors that they exist, and they meet together after, after church. And, like, you find out that these groups exist, and I didn't find out about these groups until after I was already gone. And I'm like, wait, what? There's groups of people that are nuanced and Anyway, yeah, I just didn't know those people existed. Well, no, and I, I will say just a quick comment on that, that your ordinary average church member, it's, they're an ordinary average person. Mm -hmm. Your ordinary average person doesn't think really deeply about a lot of things, okay? They, they, they adopt a particular worldview based on the, on the life that they're living. 
and then are based on usually their environment and their parents and things like that. And then they run with it. But if you're going to have an examined life and you're going to actually really deeply ponder the things that you believe and why you believe them, um, you know, it requires you to have some very difficult sort of wrestling and conversations. And there are, like you said, these online groups where people, um, you know, well, online groups and in real life, I found out there was actually a group of people. Maybe I shouldn't say this because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Let's just say that they're uh, in local congregations. There have I've, I've and it, and I've heard that there's usually a group of people in every ward that kind of get together and have the hard discussions that mm-hmm. address the real problems that people are having. Yeah. But, so you said that you know, in real life, people like you online, they have a hard time with you. So is this just a case of you having protection behind a a keyboard? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, I have a hard time with people that are like that. And they would never do that to someone in real life. But because they get to hide behind a keyboard, they can be a total butthead. Well, I I guess I would. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And believe me, I'm not if, if I would never insult someone personally. Well, I, I don't see you do that, that too much, but I, uh, I got in some conversations with you and it felt like you weren't giving other people the same thing that you wanted back or something like that. I don't know. I don't so know. I, I would, just, I would, it I wasn't would a conversation, it, I guess I, I would, it was hard it to talk way. to you. I couldn't ever really but talk I, to you when I was uh-huh. talking to you online, even though even though I, and I didn't even know that this person that I'm talking to right now existed until I watched that interview <laughs> that you did with Anthony um, Miller. Anthony Miller. And then yeah, I was Anthony's like, oh, guy. he is a real person. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, so anyway, that's my, you're not, that's my you're not the background. first person to do that. That's my and background I, experience with you. So it just makes me wonder how useful that tool is that you're using if it's not even the real you, if it's just well, this like is, persona. Is what is my objective when I'm in these online interactions? Ultimately, my goal isn't necessarily- To change people's to, mind? Are you doing it that? It actually isn't. Oh. I'm not. I, if anything, I'm trying to test my own ideas and the ideas of other. It's more like I'm exploring. Now, granted, I will say this. I also just enjoy debate sometimes. Sometimes uh-huh. that can be fun. It, it's you know a bit of a, a rush to go back and forth with someone. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie to say that isn't part of it. Obviously, it is. But- on the macro level, outside of a of a, of just a interaction that I'm having some fun with, um, no, I'm 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 ultimately concerned about what's true and what isn't, and I actually enjoy it a lot more when it turns into a serious conversation. Hmm. The problem is, is that a lot of the times the people that I'm dealing with, they aren't even like it's clear they're not even ready for a serious conversation, or they're just and, assuming you're not good faith. Well, well, that's the thing, and and they use that line, "You're not good faith." What do you mean by that? You know, and, and I'll ask you, like, like, what do you mean? Like I just explained, like, I could never get to you. I couldn't ever talk to you. I was talking to this something else. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> See, that's, that's what people say. They say they, they'll bring up this idea that I don't act in good faith. And I, I always am kind of like that's sort of a cop out because no one knows what that means, except for to say that you're not you're not genuinely engaging in the conversation. And generally, what I would say is that if I'm in a public forum, and other people are watching this conversation. This is not this is like if you 
private message me, you probably would have a different thing. No, but I did. A- That's the first time I did. Then I, I mentioned it was after I watched Anthony, Anthony Miller and I, and I, and I told you this and I said, you don't seem the same in this interview as you do online. Yeah. And I asked you why, and then you, you, you told me similar. So I was just letting other people yeah, understand and, and, as well. And I, at the end of the day, like I said, I mean, I'm not sure I agree with your methods, but I mean, you can. I would say we probably have, we probably have different goals, like, um, especially, and especially in a public square, I look at, I look at the internet, honestly, as this is where ideas are, are moving around in the world now. Okay. This is the exchange of information that's happening and it's happening in these groups within the church. It's happening within these groups. And I look at ideas like viruses, good ideas and bad ideas, and they spread. And if you have a bad idea that's spreading, you need to have voices that rip it apart. And so when I see an idea that's out there, that's bad, I will do everything in my power to destroy it. Mm. Right now, if I've misunderstood that idea, and it isn't actually bad. Like I'm, I'm ready to have that conversation. I'm ready to steel man an idea. But if I steel man the idea, I understand it. And I ultimately think that it's wrong and that it's harmful. Like, sorry, gloves are off. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use everything in my power to try and take this idea down, including memes. <laughs> you know, humor, there's nothing so irresistible as the truth wrapped in a good joke. That's interesting. And that's what a meme is. So. Um... I, I, I kind of was thinking about how there are people that think there are harmful ideas and there are things you can do harm with words. You think that's true, that you can do harm with words? I think, I don't think you can do harm with words. I wouldn't phrase it that way, oh. but I would say ideas have led to the deaths of hundreds of millions of people throughout history. Ideas are what move the world. Ideas are the reason that you lived a certain way in your life. Ideas are, are the reason that people live the way that they do. Like ideas are what are the catalyst to human behavior. Yeah. But if you're not convincing anybody, then what's the point? Oh, I don't know that I'm not. Well, I would say this one, I'm testing certain ideas to see how strong they are. And other times I'm just full on like, no, this is a bad idea. And I'm going to try and destroy it. And a lot of the times I'm not trying to convince the person that has the idea. Like that isn't what you do in a debate. And, and most interactions online are actually debates. You have two people with opposing views that are irreconcilable and there's an audience watching them. And so you then begin to engage one another in a, in a discussion where people are watching and the people that you care about are the people that are watching the discussion, yeah. including people on your own side. You want to reinforce that they are right and that they should <laughs> hold the beliefs that they hold if yeah. you believe that those those ideas are correct. So it's so, it, like, I don't make any bones about it. We are in a war of ideas and maybe. I am perfectly willing to engage in the war of ideas. So here are my thoughts on debates. I don't know that they are the best way to get to the truth. If that, I think debates are basically, you have a bunch of people come and cheer for one side. And then you have a bunch of other people that come and cheer for the other side and they get points from their side. And I don't think there's a lot of crossover or a lot of changing of ideas at debates. Like, it's like, Hey, I'm going to hold up this common straw man. And then I'm going to pummel it to the ground. And everyone's like, yay, good job. And then, then vice versa, it happens back and forth. Um, well, I, I, and, and I can see how a lot of people feel that way. I can yeah. say for a fact, 
Sam Harris totally altered my entire mindset around the notion of morality by watching him debate William Lane Craig. I'll also say that watching debates between people like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens against Christian theists is the reason I'm not an atheist. Those debates were extremely important in the formation of my own mind because what I see a debate at it as is two ideas. Let's put them in a ring and let's see which one's stronger. And now, now a lot of people that may look at a debate where they've already made up their mind on an issue, you're right. They're not going to change their mind. How do you know that's not, wasn't you in those situations? You just got better ammunition for defending your own views, but you weren't actually hearing the critical well, view, I guess. Well, I would say that I, because I can steel man the other side, like I, and, and not only that, like I said, Sam Harris, who's not on my side is the one who convinced me with his arguments that that his view of morality was more coherent than William Lane Craig's and the traditional theistic view of the moral argument for God's existence, for instance. I, I totally abandoned that argument because I realized it's, it's bunk, even though William Lane Craig is on my team, quote unquote, as a theist. Mm -hmm. So can you explain better like what, what, what changed? Like what? So I, I used to hold to more of the traditional idea about where morality comes from. It's rooted in God, right? Mm -hmm. But I never really heard that idea challenged. And I ended up, as I listened to Sam Harris uh, and his, uh, I read his book, The Moral Landscape, which talks about uh, well-being, the opposite of suffering. So if suffering exists, it's a phenomena, it's real. Moral language is the description of something's relationship to suffering. So we say that it is bad if it relates to suffering. Oh. And then we say that it is good the farther away from suffering it gets you. Does that make sense? And that's where you're like, that makes more sense to me than just an arbitrary. Well, why would I say if, if everything that God did, for instance, was good, well, then I would have no way of knowing if God was good because God is the good. And that is the, the definition. So in other words, if God caused me endless misery and suffering, why would I use the word good to describe God? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Inherent in the language itself. We don't realize what we're actually talking about when we use moral language. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. But we're actually talking about suffering. And I can go into all sorts of things about Jordan Peterson's talk about suffering and how this all relates. And, and actually, uh, there's an incredibly unique thing about LDS theology, which I learned later, is that actually the LDS view of, the, uh, of, of morality is not divine command theory, which is not that morality is rooted in God. That's a false idea. And if you read Alma 42, you'll realize that. So no, not interested in going into that. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a, that's a totally different subject. We've got a long ways, but that's All right. but I, like, I just saying that in these, these debates, they were very helpful to me. And, but I, but I, like I said, the debates online, I look at, I look at the social media, honestly, go out there. It is a battlefield of ideas. It is, it is crowds out there propagating their points of view and their opinions about things. And when people are out there propagating ideas and opinions that are nonsense and harmful, like I'm going to say, I'm going to drop a meme on, them, meme on them because it'll get a good laugh from a lot of people. And the truth with it wrapped in a good joke is very hard to resist. I don't know. I would say, I would say online presence are 
the dogmatic people screaming at each other while the majority of everybody reads in silence going, is this what our world's coming to without realizing they're the majority? Like, it's just the minority that are screaming at each, at each other online. Like, I don't I have, think, I, I, I don't have know. Less, I have less faith in the masses. I think the masses are online and the masses are moved by propaganda. But and, reading it, maybe, maybe. And, and there are, there are though. I think, I think, I think there's a, a silent majority that is sick of it though, I guess is what I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I could be wrong, but it, it's definitely a place where ideas are. And I think it's important to have the courage to maybe say what you think. That's what I've kind of uh, been thinking lately is have, and I've found that people are usually okay with you saying what you think, even if you're, if you, even if you think differently than them, once you, they know you, um, it's harder online when you don't know them. It's easy mm-hmm. to just say, oh, they're evil or whatever name, dishonest, not in good faith, whatever you want to place on them. It's easy. Yeah. They're, they're liars, they're trolls, they're whatever, but you can't do that to a friend that you have. But it's also hard. You don't want to be ostracized either from your from your <laughs> well, friend groups and, and or family groups either. So it's well, it's like a hard balance to say. And that's think. very that's very much the the problem that I run into. Um, one one of the things that I realized very early on, and it's only gotten way worse, is that people use social niceties to manipulate the conversation. Like what? The, they will. Well, the thing is, is you can't be straight with people with the truths that are uncomfortable, but that are true. Like you have to like play this dance and preface your thing with, you know, oh, well, I don't want this to hurt anyone's feelings and da, 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 da. And, and, and then, but then there's this thing of like, if you can't say the truths that are not popular. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is those are the truths that don't get talked about. And those are the truths that people ignore that actually matter the most. And so my thing is, I just go in like a bulldozer and just say, here's the truth, deal with it. And people don't like that because it comes across as like, I mean, it's just, these are things that are untrue. But my thing is like, I don't care how you feel about it. Is it true? Right. And then they turn to me like, well, you're a bad person. I could say the same I could say that I could say the same thing about a lot of the claims that um, members of the church make. And I don't, I choose not to be a bulldozer and just say, this is clearly false. I'm going to bulldoze your sacred held beliefs. Like I I'm not going to do that. Like, so where's the balance? Where's the balance between being respectful of how someone else feels and that humility that I might be wrong. And like, where's the balance? Like you say, well, sometimes you, you can't say the truth, but the truth is actually quite hard to find. Like, we don't know what the truth is. We, we, we should be able to say what we think is true. Let's, and then, mm-hmm. and then hopefully we have friends that disagree with us that can correct us that we trust. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I've been wondering like how, how you, am I doing my family a disservice by not telling them the information I find, I've kind mm-hmm. of decided they know how to use Google and they can go find it themselves. That's, that's what my philosophy has been. Like, I'm not going to shove it in their face because they're grownups <laughs> and they know, and they know the information's out there when they're ready to go look at it, they can go look at it. But there's, 
there's a set of information that changes your belief. You said you had a, a belief transformation or a belief remodeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a set of information out there that once you learn it, you can't go back to the way you were believing. You just, you can't yeah. go back there. There's something uh-huh. shifts. I understand that there's a lot of people that stay in the church too, but if that shift is closer, your belief is closer to like more aligned with reality now. Am I doing my family a disservice by not telling them, hey, there's a set of information that's going to change your beliefs fundamentally that's more yeah. closely aligned with reality? Well, and that, and that right there is a question. Well, I'll, I'll use this analogy. Do I go and tell my children things about Santa Claus? Um, the thing is, is some beliefs don't hurt anyone. You and made the Santa that, Claus analogy, not me, just for the record. And that's fine. <laughs> And I, 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 maybe that's a poor analogy to use because I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is from your perspective though, and from the perspective of a lot of people, that is the way it is. Religion is ultimately a harmless, maybe even beneficial thing that, you know, it, it, they, they enjoy it. It's nice. It's kind of fun for them to do these things, but it's not really that harmful. And so I'm not going to aggressively go after it. And that's my opinion towards things that aren't harmful. Mm. What I look at is, believe me, if you thought that your family's beliefs we're going to lead them to do terrible, terrible things. You would feel a moral obligation to be honest about it. My thing is this. I go, I don't go hard after every false idea in the world. I go hard after the ideas that are dangerous, in my opinion, that actually lead to harm. Right. Okay. Let me give you, let me give you a scenario here. There's maybe a person that is a member of the church and they are stuck in maybe a more dogmatic kind of belief Mm -hmm. where they believe that God doesn't love them for whatever reason, because they are something that they can't change about themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, fill in the blank. I mean, I could, I I think anybody can use their imagination. We know the stories, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if that's the case, then is that not harming that person? Because they need the updated belief. They need the more nuanced belief at the least. Yeah. And I would work with that person to, to get closer to the truth. Any idea that's harmful that they're holding, I would want to get rid of. The question mm-hmm. is what ideas are actually harmful and which ones aren't. Well, what's and tough though, is that sometimes the church is more supportive of the dogmatic belief than the nuanced belief. It depends on the specific. I, 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 I mean, it would, it would depend on a particular issue, but when it comes down to it, I, believe me, I look into those and I wrestle with those things myself, but ultimately even the, the notion of if an idea is harmful will depend on your, your metaphysics on, you know, if you, if you believe in only, an afterlife, absolutely. That's a huge one hmm. because if I think I'm only going to live for 80 years, well, now I'm down to what, hopefully 45 left, you know, my, my mindset towards things changes entirely yeah. than if I think I'm going to live forever. And if I'm ultimately accountable for everything that I do and that there's a final reckoning. Now, some people will say that is a horrible, evil belief that will destroy people. And so they want to get rid of this belief in an afterlife and in a final judgment and in ultimate justice, right? Fair enough. I I think that all of those things you just listed are plenty beneficial metaphorically. I don't see why we have to believe or know for certainty that there's an afterlife. So that's interesting that you use that one as an example. But it, I, my, my main point is this. If you place, I'm not saying perfect certainty here. 
I actually don't believe in perfect certainty in a rational sense. I don't believe it's possible. I believe that we have, we place our faith in certain ideas about the metaphysical reality of existence. We don't know the, like, we don't have perfect certainty. You don't have perfect certainty that I even exist. If you really get down to it and go down the Descartes route and all that. The, yeah, but I, I still think we want, we want to be as closely aligned with reality as possible. So absolutely, absolutely. It, we don't so, want to use that, what you just said as an excuse to believe things that maybe we don't, uh, we shouldn't be believing. I am, I blind faith is stupid and it's not what we should have at all. Faith is the inference to the best explanation given what the information that we have. Okay. Sure. I, I place my faith in an afterlife because I think that is actually the best of the two alternatives there is, or there isn't in that binary. I think that that belief is actually the, the belief to place your faith on for a variety of reasons. And so faith is where you place your bet. And so we all place our bets because we have to make decisions in life. It's sort of the Jordan Peterson idea, right? Mm -hmm. Is that your, your behavior manifests what you really believe mm -hmm. or in Christian speak where you've really placed your faith, your works manifest your faith, as we would say, mm -hmm. right? So my, my point is, is that there are certain ideas that are harmful out there from my point of view, and I will work to combat those ideas and also, but also to make sure that I understand them. Cause I never want to attack something I don't understand. And that's why if a person ever says, Hey, you don't understand, you'll watch me back up because I want to steal man. I do not want to attack straw men. It just, it does me no good. Cause then I'm just, it's just ego. And it's not actually, I'm not actually hitting the real target because right. I want to hit the real target and I want to hit it hard. Right. So Okay. That's good. Um, I'm going to shift over to another question I had. So I was surprised to find out that you are the only active, uh, sibling of the, of your family. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Out, yeah. Of, out of, out of eight children. So yeah, that was kind of, I don't I, know. I'll also so say that what I'm kind one of time, of, what kind of time frame? Okay. Go ahead. Say that again. I was also going to say that, uh, out of a family where well, my dad's one of eight children also, um, essentially all raised in the church, all, you know, returned missionaries, all that whole nine yards. And I think more than half of them have probably left as well. So of my cousins and everything else. But and that all happened basically from the time I got home from my mission in 2008 until the present day. And your, your parents are, they're still active. Yeah, okay. they are. So, um, yeah. So I was going to ask what kind of time frame that was. So it all started in 2008 and then Roughly while I was on my mission, when I, it was, it was kind of interesting because when I went on my mission in 2005, there were three guys that got me on that mission more than anybody else. It was my dad, my uncle, and my older brother. And when I came back, two of them had left the church. And was it during your mission that you had your remodeling your, how did you call it? Yeah. Kind of a faith remodeling. So I tell people that I had about a 10 year period. Uh, I say from 2008 until 2018, I like to say is sort of not my faith crisis, but my faith remodeling. Um, because when I and came, you felt home, like you kind of landed in 2018. Yeah. Well, I came home in 2018 and it was kind of like, it was actually a really good thing. Cause I just come off my mission. And so I was very much in a good place spiritually, but mm -hmm. intellectually I had to start to sort some things out in a serious way. In 2008. Yeah. In 2008, nine, 10, that's kind of when I, began this process, but it never was, see, that's one of the things It never was for me, a, 
um, this sort of, oh, the shelf broke and everything's there. It was kind of like, man, I got a lot on my shelf. I need to, I need to, I need to clean some of this stuff off. Can, can I actually tell you a, a little analogy that I thought of when it comes to the, the shelf thing? Sure. And why I think I've been able to retain the faith that I have. Um, a lot of people don't realize that their shelf, from what I can tell, is made of, it isn't like, the shelf is actually made of something. It's made of three things. It's made of your belief in God. It's made of your belief in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And it's made then of, the, of your belief in the restoration. And what happens, so far as I can tell, is that if your shelf is really strong in all three of those areas, you'll have a very strong shelf. And it's, the problem going on in society is actually the reason people's shelves are breaking, so far as I can tell, isn't so much because of the restoration per se, but because our broader culture has uh, embraced, I'm sorry, I got a fly in this room, um, has embraced sort of this secular worldview. Um, and so people no longer really believe in God and in Jesus Christ the way that they used to. And so once, and it changes your entire epistemology, the entire way you approach the questions in the church when, when, you, when you do that. And that's why, you know, people aren't leaving the church and becoming Baptists. They're leaving the church and becoming atheists and, or at least not Christians in any meaningful sense, which makes me always, but it was like, and generally the story goes, you know, oh, well, I, I had my belief in, in the restoration. Then when that fell apart, the other stuff started to fall apart right afterwards. And the question is, well, why, why did those other things, what, what that tells me is that a person's belief in Jesus Christ and in God, they're, their triangle or their, 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 their testimony is supposed to be a triangle where the base is God and then Jesus Christ and then restoration. Well, theirs was inverted. Their entire testimony was built on the stories of Joseph Smith that their parents told them and not I, on a more fundamental faith in God and in Jesus Christ. I, um, but can you kind of understand how that happens still? Like, I mean, absolutely. I think your trust is in the organization and the organization is the one that taught you all of those things. And so if you lose your trust in the organization and pretty much everything they told you is up for redefining. And a lot of people do go down, they, they reluctant, they reluctantly become atheists. They go down the Christian path and then all of a sudden they see Christianity as the same thing as Mormonism just 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like they can't help but see it that way. Yep. So I, I mean, that's, I've, I've heard that story over and over again. They don't, they don't want to become secular. They've, grown up thinking secular people are, um, selfish and, uh, yeah, just evil. Well, basically. I, I, I think <laughs> they have no think... moral, they're, 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 they have no moral basis or, and if, and if they are moral, it's because they're living off of the Christian, the Christian foundation that they were given from their community or their country or whatever. Right. Like I, I I've heard that story before, but it's not, it's not satisfying. I, I know the steel man and I still am not satisfied with it. Like I, I grew up knowing that. <laughs> so, so I want to go real quick to your point about the institution. So I'm actually, one thing a lot of people won't realize about me is I'm actually not like one of these institutionally grounded kids that grew up in Utah that like, you know, was in the little Mormon bubble my whole life. I, I actually, um, one of the greatest things that happened to me was I went in the seventh grade to a, uh, an evangelical Christian school. 
and I was in seventh grade being attacked for my beliefs by like teachers and stuff. <laughs> and so very early on, I was exposed to other Christians. I ended up going to Catholic, uh, Catholic middle school also, and then Catholic high school. So I was around Catholics. Um, and I was the only LDS kid in my school, you know, so I, I, I was not wrapped in the Mormon bubble. So I got to kind of see the broader sort of religious world, which was great, uh, for me, in my opinion, it was huge. Because what happened was when I got home from my mission, it was interesting. My brother left the church and he began to kind of talk to me about why and, you know, his issues, but it was interesting. He didn't have the typical story. My brother said, I'm not, my issue isn't with golden plates and angels and seer stones and all that. He said, my issue, he said, I read the book, The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine from American history. You might know who that is. Well, he wrote a book about the absurdity of Christianity. And the absurdity of believing in, in, a, in a theistic God and, and the Christian story. And so my brother, like, he was very upfront, like, no, I'm convinced by the atheist that religion is bunk, all of it. And so I ended up remodeling my faith, not from the top down, not by trying to resolve all the things about Joseph Smith and the seer stone, but rather by going back and asking my questions about God. And it was like, I had those fundamental conversations. That's why I became so attracted to Jordan Peterson is because he's having what I call the fundamental conversations. And then from there, it's kind of like, once I have established myself as a theist, very strongly as a theist, then it's about, all right, well, where's God? And from there, you know, I go into the Jesus, I mean, I could go into all sorts of details on this, but then Jesus in the New Testament becomes something that's a real possibility. And I ended up, you know, essentially gaining, realizing that it is essentially what it claims to be. And then that casts the Joseph Smith claims in a whole new light. And so that's why for me, I'm not as bothered by some things in church history because in my mind, there's like this huge foundation underneath it that allows me to say, well, if that thing, if he made a mistake or if this wasn't right or whatever, it doesn't change the, the bigger picture that's underneath this. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I would very easily, I wouldn't, I can tell you right now, if, if I were ended up being convinced that Joseph Smith wasn't who he claimed to be and that the church isn't what it claims to be, I would still be a Christian, hmm. like hundred percent. Like I know I would. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, LDS church gone. Uh, where do you go? Huh? I've thought about that. I would probably consider myself a non-denominational Christian of some kind, probably a la Jordan Peterson, that, that sort of, I would, I would retreat into a much more vague version of Christianity. I would have to conclude that the new Testament specifics aren't reliable enough for me to arrive at the conclusions that I've arrived at about the continuing work of an actual church founded by Jesus Christ. And so, but I would still believe that Jesus Christ was um, essentially who the scriptures make him out to be, even if it's in some sort of a metaphorical sense, although I don't like you're kind of asking me to believe, say things that I don't believe. And I, I mean, I, I, I there'd be a lot of confusion, but that's kind of where I would end up as far as I can tell. Yeah. It sounds familiar. Okay. So how does, um, oh, okay. Back up a little bit. You said something that I had a question about, I hope this isn't going too far back. So you were explaining how a lot of people that 
have, they run into like church history problems or something. They are looking at back at the church in a secular way. And that changes the way they look at the church or something like that. Does that sound like something you said? Can you explain that a little more? I don't understand what you meant by that. So here's, here's an example. If, if you don't, let's say that you actually believe that Jesus Christ, Christ rose from the dead, like really did. And that the new Testament is essentially accurate. If someone comes along and claims that they are a prophet of God, of Jesus Christ, you're going to view that claim entirely different than if you don't believe in Jesus Christ at all in the first place. And the degree to which you have confidence in the Jesus Christ story is the degree to which you're going to have certain feelings about someone's claim to prophetic witness. I'm actually having a conversation with um, some Calvinists. Actually, we're having a debate tomorrow, or not tomorrow, uh, Friday. And it is... It's interesting to see the way they attack Smith compared to the way that someone who's left the church and has gone atheist attacks Smith. Is it the same way? No, very different. Because from their point of oh, view- Oh, he's a false prophet. Exactly. He's a false prophet. It's not that there's no such thing as prophets. Couldn't, it's all couldn't a bunch of be magic. a prophet. What was that? It's not that it couldn't be a prophet. Exactly. So, and not only that, like if you accept that the Bible is is- in essence, the word of God, that God communicates through the Bible, and you start seeing Jesus Christ talking about founding a church and giving keys to the kingdom and all this stuff, all of a sudden, there's a lot more for you to say, hey, there's something to this story. So what I'm saying is, is that your average Latter-day Saint, your average person nowadays, they do not understand crap about the theistic or Christian argument which I think are phenomenally strong. That's why I think Jordan Peterson is resurrecting these ideas that are actually quite profound. Now, I don't think Jordan Peterson has it right because I think he, he stopped short of where he actually needs to go. That's uh, funny. It's so funny because I, I think what he's doing is he's making a believable story again. I think the reason that people are leaving churches isn't because of some secular brainwashing. It's because science killed them <laughs> and they're holding on to things that I, I, I just watched this podcast with Jordan Peterson and a guy that has, uh, I can't remember the name of his podcast. They had a great conversation. He, the guy who was, um, interviewing Jordan Peterson was saying how you get these dogmatic people and, you know, you have the hierarchy of beliefs and instead of getting mad at their deepest beliefs, they're getting mad at these things that don't matter. So like if we brought it over to the LDS theology, it'd be like someone, someone losing their faith over finding out coffee was healthy for you or something like that. Yeah. Like, so, so it's like, well, that's not the deepest part of your belief. Like why are, and why are these dogmatic people all frustrated at this level. And I guess that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Like you're, you're saying all of this church history stuff is the shallow stuff that you should have been in a deeper place, but it's almost like religions, people that are super religious are using science to try to keep their religion true. And that's, that was where they went wrong. And so it's scientifically, you can prove it wrong because it was never scientifically true to begin with. It was true in another way. It was a true in a story way, in a metaphorical way, but they don't want to hear that either. They don't want to hear that. It's a hundred percent more metaphorical. They can't handle that. A lot of people wouldn't realize this about me, but I'm not a fundamentalist at all. I'm, it's actually funny. I, I think I'm pretty middle of the road. 
I feel like I get people who will, who will, everybody um, thinks they're in the middle of the road though. I know. Right. Yeah. But, but I, get the people... from both, I get yelled at from both sides. I get people who saying that I'm a fundamentalist and then I get other people who are fundamentalists saying, Oh, you're one of those nuanced weirdos. Hmm. And, 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 and I find that in the church, generally, I find people on both sides of me. Right. But if you're in church, I think there's a group of us that would say that if you're in church, then you're probably <laughs> more on the fundamental on the side. Fundamental side. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, no, for sure. And I and I and, and I know that. But what I'm saying is within the Latter-day Saint community, within those that are going to church, I'm I'm fairly middle of the road. But with that said, I'm not a fundamentalist in, in the sense that look, one of the in fact, what I'm arguing with these Calvinists is there's a quote by Joseph Smith that I love where he talks about this idea that and I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially says, if it's true, we believe it. If it's true, it's our religion. What we care about is the truth. All right. What's true. Now, there are going to be disputes about things, what is true and in what sense is it true? And that's a very interesting conversation to have. And I do agree that I think that claims have been made and that religion generally has had a more fundamentalist bent historically. And I do think that that's unsustainable. And I want to get rid of that because I think it's false. And if it's false, we need to get rid of it. But I think we got to be careful because I think what happens is that people end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And where I think a lot of people are right now is trying to sort out where is the line between the baby and the bathwater? Like what, you know, how, in what way are these things true? You know, how literal is the story? You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? How much does it matter? And if how it's much literal or not? Exactly. And, and my thing is, is that, that that is a valid conversation to have, and it's a very interesting conversation to have. But as, as you pointed out, ultimately, the reason most people actually are involved in religion isn't because it gives them a really good history lesson. It's because of the, the paradigms and the stories that it provides to their life that helps frame how to be in the world. Sure. And I think it's uh, the practices, but it's really hard when you have your leaders promising you that you will know someday you'll have that certainty someday they promise that they promise that you will know and that's strange to me because like when i look at like progressive like progress progressing in your knowledge when you have the knowledge that you realize you you seem to have said it that you don't think you can have certainty yeah. um and it's it's interesting to me because i don't hear that coming from conference talks you don't hear that you hear Someday you will know. And, and, and while you're waiting to know, you can rely on my testimony. I, I listened to Lord, I believe by elder Holland, like a million times the last three years that I was practicing. Like I, I felt like I was doing something wrong and I would know someday. And when really I was growing up, I was learning that you can't have that kind of knowledge. Like that's not what life's going to give you. And so why aren't we getting that kind of wisdom from the pulpit? Why do we have to get it from Jordan Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> because I don't look at our ecclesiastical leaders as the philosophers. I look at them as the ministers. I noticed something pretty quick. And I think anyone who's been in a ward will notice this pretty quick. The guy who gets called to be the bishop isn't the best theologian in the ward. It's the guy who's most likely to show up when someone's moving into the ward. Yeah, the guy with the biggest heart. Exactly. And so what ends up happening- Sometimes. Yeah, I, I, uh, of course. <laughs> but 
But what I've always looked at, and I look at this as the apostles in the church, I don't assume that they have some deep, perfect understanding of these things. I think that these men, I do think that they are very wise. I'm, I'm not, I'm not downgrading them to say that these men are not, um, that they're, that they're like ignorant fools or something, but their I job think they've is wrestled I see with it, these questions themselves, but they still allow people to believe that they are what you just said. They're not, they allow people to continue believing that that's what they are. They allow people to believe that they may be talking to Jesus. They well, don't believe, correct I, people. Well, and I would say to some extent, because I do believe that those, it is possible for an apostle to talk to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I wouldn't say that. Why? I shouldn't discount they, that that's a possibility that that has happened. I don't discount I that there are really powerful spiritual experiences and dreams or other things that they might have that they don't talk about. I'm also saying that those aren't necessary, but, but I, I would, I would just put it this way. What they are doing so far as I can tell is they are trying to tell the story and be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ as it has been made known by the collective voice of the prophets in the past and according to the inspiration of the spirit that they feel within themselves. And I frankly think they do an excellent job, but I also don't think that they have all the answers. And that's one of the things that bugs me is there's this, there's this thing of like, oh, well, they must have known and not told me. And in my mind, I don't think they knew in the first place. Known what? I didn't, I didn't like either. various things. Like people would talk about like they were hiding the seer stone, uh, you know, because of X, Y, Z, right? When it's like, no, they probably didn't really understand it. And they weren't about to go out and start to make pronouncements when they themselves were trying to figure out exactly how the translation process took place. And there were conflicting opinions about it. For them to go out and make claims in general is very difficult to do because there are people who are going to run with those claims. They have to be very careful about what they say. So one of the things that the brethren in the church, in my opinion, first of all, I'll be the first one to say, they're men just like every, like I look at their stewardship over the church, just like my stewardship over my family. And I believe I'm entitled to visions from God. I believe I'm entitled to communication from God, but I do not believe that they're superheroes who have some kind of a special mythological power that like they know all. I, I don't think that. I think God cares just as much about my stewardship as he does about theirs. And I believe I am entitled, just like Joseph said, to be a prophet just like him. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll have to have another discussion sometime where I can <laughs> articulate better what the problem is. Um, I've had this discussion with a few other faithful people and they don't, and, and they've said what you said, what you said is what I would have said before I left until I, there's something that clicked and I went, oh, there's a huge problem here. And I, and I can't quite describe it. <sighs> maybe I'll try. Um, like when, when you're, listening to a talk like the one I just referenced and you're like, okay, they know they're giving me the confidence. They know, you know, they're educated, you know, they, they were educated in a secular school. All of them are well-educated. And so you rely on their knowing and they are claiming they know they, they are claiming they can know. And, and so, so I would, so, so I guess you're wondering like, how can these people who are so well-educated claim saying, that they know I'm something their, I'm if saying they don't I trust really them. know it? I'm saying I trust them, right? We'll, mm -hmm. we'll put myself in my believer shoes when I was a believer before everything. So 
I, I trust them. Mm-hmm. I know they're well educated. I know they know what I know. I am as educated as I am or more educated. Therefore, for them to have that level of confidence, something must have happened, some kind of experience that was proof to them that they would claim with that kind of certainty that they know what they know. And then you kind of realize that that's not even the case. Like I remember uh, toward like the last year, I remember I was, I asked my husband and I said, do you think they know in any different way than we know? And he said, no, I think all, all men have to walk by faith. And I was like, yeah, me too. And I was, I was like grateful. Cause that to me, that meant that he didn't believe in like supernatural crap. <laughs> Cause that's where my stuff started to fall apart as I started, I realized I didn't believe in supernatural things except for in my faith. And so then I was trying to construct a way to keep believing without believing in supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and then that worked for a while until I realized that I wasn't being honest. I wasn't being honest at church. I wasn't being honest mm-hmm. with my consistency with the way I look at different things. Mm-hmm. If I, if I hear a claim over here, well, it's a special claim over here. So, but anyway, that, so, um, but when, once you end up there, you realize they let you believe that first part before mm-hmm. you thought that all men had to walk by faith before you, you went, Oh, they know something special because they're saying they know it. And therefore with that education level, something must've happened. But when it's really just, oh, I have intuition and mm-hmm. that's it. If that's it, if, if nothing changed from the time you were called to be a prophet, like you are receiving inspiration and intuition, uh, the spirit, the same way as when you were a bishop or a state president, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've come across different, um, different places where um, Elder Bednar gave an interview to a CES person. It was like a PDF interview that I read. And mm-hmm. he basically said, I know some people think that we learn things differently, but we learn just like you. And, and I hear them talking a lot more like that all the time. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure like in a generation from now, people aren't going to believe that they're talking to Jesus. They're not going to allow them to believe that, but they're like transitioning slowly is what it seems like. And that seems so wrong. <laughs> That seems so wrong to not just let people know the, the reality of how they're knowing things because it changes the way people believe. It really does. Mm-hmm. Anyway. What you're talking about is something that I've, I've also asked, mm-hmm. okay, in the sense of like- wrestled of, with. Of, well, yeah, of knowing. And first of all, I would say that the philosophy of knowledge and epistemology and what constitutes certainty and all these sorts of things is a very complicated topic. I, I get it. I get it. And I, I don't, I've had these conversations with my brother about like, is the car out in the garage? Well, are you looking at the car? And then even if you're looking at the car, can you even be sure you're looking at the car? Okay. I don't want to get into he's, that. He's taking right you now. down the, the road of Descartes and you're right. These no, sorts of things I, are very challenging, but when you talk about what perfect certainty is and how we arrive at any level of certainty about anything there, there are a lot of sort of epistemological assumptions that we bring to the conversation. And actually I spent, and this is one of the more recent parts of, I would necessarily call it my faith remodeling, but just a subject I've been, I've been really digging into uh-huh. is what constitutes knowledge. And I do believe that, in fact, in my debate that I'm preparing for, uh-huh. it's, it's largely on this topic. It's, it's, it's about how can we know the mind and will of God? And in this debate, one of the big points that we're going to make 
is the idea that knowledge, there is a difference between if a person says they have rational knowledge or spiritual knowledge, right? A person can, I don't believe that rational certainty is possible. However, as a theist, if we're going to, if we're going to go down the theist route and say that God exists, God by definition is the person who cannot lie to you. Let's just use an example. God pops up in your room right now. And he says, Hey, Marty Lynn, you need to go back to church. Okay. And it really was God that was there. Now you could, how would doubt I know? That it was, you could doubt that it was God. You could ask, how, how do I really know that that was God? You can always doubt it. But the thing is, is that you had received in that moment, what I would call a, uh, a spiritual surety, because that's what spiritual knowledge is. Spiritual knowledge is God literally telling you. It now, what, is, would that, what does that, what's the difference? Like, how would you know that that's happening? I'm not saying that, you know, no, I'm saying how would, how would a person how would a person know when they're getting that spiritual surety? Okay, so you're, you're basically asking if it's some sort of an intuition, how can you know that that isn't just you making things up? Is that, is that what you're asking? Well, That's sure. Well, yes, because obviously, if what's more likely, if I, I had that experience and I relate it to someone, they're going to think I'm crazy, which so, is more likely. So, so here's, here's where I'm going with this. God seems to about- only be talking to crazy people. You're talking about rational knowledge. Okay, so if we define that there's two types of knowledge out there, there's rational knowledge and then there's spiritual knowledge. Rational knowledge, as I'm talking about it here, is something that you can use reason and you could actually- No, I, like, under- I understand what you're saying there. And- but, but, well, wait, wait, I'm not sure that you do. And let me, let me just make sure of this. Okay. Spiritual knowledge is the experience itself. Yes, but have you ever had an experience where you uh-huh. learned something spiritually and then later found out you inferred the wrong thing. Yes. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Like, what if you say, oh my, oh my, can you say, oh my, I mean, if you're seeing him, can you say, real, oh my, okay. <laughs> real quick. I can't say it publicly. As so- far as I can tell, this is, this is where the issue is. I'm not saying that spiritual knowledge you're, 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 we have to, where we cross spiritual knowledge is the experience itself. If God comes down, like, let's say you went to your child Uh and you said to your child, you're in trouble and you're not going to the movies tomorrow. And you walked out of the room, your child could doubt that experience. How do I really know that that was my mom? You know what I mean? Like, how can I really know and be certain that I'm actually not going to go to the movies tomorrow, right? Sure, Mm -hmm. I saw her. I heard her. I have all these things that tell me, but I can't be 100% sure. And the reality is that's true. So here's what I'm saying. God communicating with you is the experience of God is perfect knowledge because if God says it's true, by definition, it is true. It is sure. The problem is that because you are fallible and because I am fallible, we can always doubt and basically turn away from spiritual surety, right? But you or could we can also misunderstand it. Well, you could also be spiritually sure about something that's not wasn't from God, too. I mean, that, that, that error goes both ways. But that error is that error lies in you. Again, rational knowledge is impossible spiritual knowledge 
is impossible. The experience <laughs> itself that you have. No, 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 no. If God actually came down and talked to you, that experience would really have happened. What good and is what God- he said is really true. He is he is imparting what is perfect truth to you. Yep. That 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 cannot be doubted. In in the sense that in the sense that it is it is true. So it, it, there's no need to doubt it. However, because you have your agency, we always have the ability to reject it, to misunderstand it, to you think turn people away mis- from it. You think people misunderstand and turn away from God on purpose? Yes. Why? Because they love other things more than God. The thing and they, they don't do. want what he wants for them. I don't, I don't see the point of believing that God can give commandments when we are so imperfect at interpreting the commandments or, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's slightly different subject, but it's similar. I could, I could place that same thing over this. Like if, if we can't be certain that we are either involved in self-deception or in some way, I don't see how it's useful to be sure that we have sure knowledge from God. If you have to always walk by faith, you're saying that's a problem. No, that certainty has gone though. That sure knowledge is gone. Certainty is always gone because you always have to walk by faith. So if your debate with these Calvinists is how can you be certain you can't be, is that what your argument is? It is. Theirs is that you can't be. Theirs is what their interpretation of the Bible is, is certainty. Yeah. It's pretty fun. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. There's, there is the epistemological discussion is a big one. Just so you know, we're just barely scratching the surface because it's very technical. It's very challenging. And my point with the leaders is the leaders are going to tell you what they're going to use the word. I know the way I use the word. I know I would tell people, yeah, I know I was talking to Marty Lynn the other night, but hmm. technically I don't know that. I'm not perfectly sure. I don't like I don't like getting into the word to know does not does not mean perfect certainty. It just means that at some level you start saying, I'm confident enough that something was real that I'm gonna say that I know it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I feel like language games get in the way of what I'm meaning. Like instead of you talking to what I'm meaning, you're you're skirting around it with the language game. Well, well let me steal menu for a second. Because what you're meaning, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. is that they are saying that they know things that they don't actually know. Is that right? They're claiming to know things with a level of certainty that with perfect certainty? With with a high higher level of certainty than I think if we could get them on in a room and have this conversation, they would go down the path you were just talking about. I believe they've used self-deception to be able to give themselves the right to say that, but they don't have the level of of certainty past. They're they're saying it in a scientific way and they're really meaning it in a spiritual way where I know this is how I'm going to act in my life. I am so certain about this, that this is how I'm going to act in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a different kind of certainty than saying, I know for sure this is God's church. Mm-hmm. That's different. What, because- what do you think, what do you think would constitute sufficient grounds to say, I know that the church is true and that God lives? 
I think that if they're going to let people believe that they're talking to Jesus, they should be talking to Jesus. And what you mean, like, does it have to be face to face in person to talk to Jesus? Um, in a way that they know they're talking to Jesus. So I don't, I don't know how, how, so, I, and I guess I would, I guess I, mean, I, would, I, I, mean, Joseph I also wonder, Smith, like, Joseph Smith claimed to see God, the father and the son. Yeah. Right? Full, full blown. And I mm -hmm. think, and I think if they had had a, a vision like that or something, I think that they may make it known, but a lot of this is just speculative in my mind. Exactly. They should let us know whether they have or not. Why should we be speculating? Shouldn't, shouldn't the prophet of God be letting us know that he's talking to Jesus if he is ever has. I mean, they, they're special witnesses of Jesus Christ, and they, they use that label all the time that they're special witness of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and, I, if, it's, I and do, if it's just I their believe, position, I do then... believe that they've had some, I believe that they've had sufficient experiences either in their life or after being called to the apostleship that they merit that title. And I think that they um, lose a lot of sleep because they know there's a lot of people like you out there. And I think they lose sleep over it. I think they understand. I don't think they have. I don't think they've had any different experience than they had as they, they were coming up in their life as bishop. And they, they have maybe experiences like, you know, um, like maybe they were in an airplane and they had a near-death experience and they really rely on that. And they had a moment where they realized that God loved them or something like that. I think mm -hmm. they have those kinds of experiences, just like every other person has. But I would be, I'd be shocked if they've had any experience of, of, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think they've had it. I don't. <laughs> and, 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 and that's fine. I mean, that's something that, that I don't think we can really verify. I also, would I would think. also say, I don't think, I don't I mean, believe that they've had some sort of, they went into the Salt Lake temple and Jesus was there. I'm not saying that, that I'm, I'm not confirming or denying that, but it's not necessary for me. If they have not had that experience, that doesn't bother me at all. Right. I don't, but if so I believe many people that, believe, I believe it, you'd think it, the honest thing would be to just be upfront with them and be like, hey, just so you guys know, we're the same guys that we were before we had this calling. This is just, this is our organizational power. It has nothing to do with like an extra spiritual power. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree because I do believe that, uh, I don't know how that process works and they're selected or, or what, but it, at the end of the day, I think it looks a lot like bishoprics <laughs> choosing people to be, um, different callings in the word. And, I think and, it's very business-like. It's and a people very, can it's have a that, 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 that experience. I personally on my mission, for instance, I can tell you that I had experiences on my mission that were transformative, mm -hmm. that are sacred to me, truly sacred experiences um, in which I felt very much like the only way I can describe it is that they are that they were experiences that I had in which God spoke to me through those experiences. It's like trying to describe a color in words. It's like trying to describe how you know that it's wrong to pour boiling water on a baby. You know, you just know, uh -huh. right? And one of the things that changes in people's epistemologies and that I have a hard time with is that they begin to sort of feel like, oh, well, that's quote unquote, just feelings. And I'm going to say right now that at the root 
of a person's epistemology at all times is feelings. I think there is a very good case to be made rationally that something that might be described as the spirit is ultimately the foundation of all knowledge, even empirical knowledge. Because at the root of everything, like a lot of people want to say, oh, well, reason, you know, it's all about reason. Well, reason is based on empirical experience and patterns that we notice in empirical experience. But in empirical experience itself, as Jordan Peterson points out, is affected by your value structure that you have inside. Mm-hmm. Like the there's the gorilla experiment where, the, where there's a gorilla that walks into this group because you're not focusing on the gorilla, you're focusing on something else, you don't even see it. Like literally mm-hmm. what you see is changed yes. based on what your values are. This very much is hinting at the idea that at the, at the deepest part of you isn't even empirical experience. It's some sort of, a, of an intuitive value structure that constitutes the heart of your being. And it's from that source that all of your knowledge springs. And so I think that when you say that it is by the spirit that we know things, I think that's actually a very profound insight about the nature of knowledge itself. Yeah. And I believe it is on that level that God can talk to you directly. I would say that uh, feelings, I'm not going to call it feelings. There's an intuition based kind of uh, mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. I am not denying that. I am saying it's a bad idea to place over that to trump empirical evidence with that yes so so here's where and so and then i want to go on go ahead so i would say humans are very very good at self-deception and the fact that we came up with a scientific method has helped us overcome self-deception excellent and i would also say that intuition can be used for self-deception and so it's best to um, try not. We, I think the the closer aligned our, our knowledge base maps onto reality, I think the better our life is going to be. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. So, so, yeah, that's that's my issue. That's most people's issue with feelings is that some people will let their feelings trump reality. Yes. And that's wrong. Yeah. And, and I don't think we disagree there. And, and I would say this, but I also think that that is not an actually scriptural position. It's not consistent with no, our it's theology. A, it's, a hum, it's a human nature problem. I don't, I wouldn't blame that on theologies. Like I think people do that. I think we all do that to ourselves all the time. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's up to us to gain practices to overcome that self-deception. But I, but I would also say that like here, an example that people might want to consider is that like hard rationality without any intuitive sense of morality, for instance, is really dangerous. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've seen that. Like that's, I, I totally agree. And I think most people intuitively understand that. And I think. Isn't intuition just feelings? No. Cause like, I think most people are understand the whole self-deception thing and that they have to work on themselves. I think, mm-hmm. I think you see people all over doing that. Like um, a lot of people that end up 
out of organized religion will still like look into like secular Buddhism and stuff like that. They're, they're still working on self-improvement. They're still working on that. It, what they don't want to do is um, continue believing something just because they have, like, I don't, I don't know what you do when you think that your foundational thing that has your morality is wrong. Because I mean, I, I believed that for a long time that without Christianity, you didn't have, you didn't have the the legal system. You didn't have any of it. I realized now that like, well, Christianity was founded on something else before that too. And so it's like, we're, we've been pulling ourselves up with our bootstraps long before Christianity. So we have, I don't know, we have a lot of. That, that'd be an interesting topic to discuss at another time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been good talking. Maybe by popular demand, everybody will want you back on. I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I know that uh, some, I rubbed Alejandro, some people the wrong way. <laughs> Alejandro, Alejandro's, um, my interview with Alejandro has like the least views. Nobody really is interested in listening to a believer's perspective, but I enjoyed the conversation. So did I. Well, I'm, I'm happy to, to jump on anytime and discuss. And I think having conversations between people that have different perspectives is good. And um, if you're down for it, I'd be, I'd be happy to have you on, uh, on my show sometime. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, yeah, thanks. All righty. Well, thanks for having me on. Okay. Have a nice Take night. care. We'll see you. Bye. Bye-bye.